Welcome to episode 48 of the Listening Brain Podcast. Welcome to the Listening Brain. I'm your host, Todd Houston. In this podcast, we explore childhood hearing loss through the lives of the parents and families who are on this journey and the professionals who serve them. It's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Adam Kita. Adam is a music educator in San Antonio, Texas, who's been wearing behind-the-ear hearing aids following the diagnosis of bilateral sensory neural hearing loss at age 7. For the past 12 years, he has been teaching band and orchestra in the Northeast Independent School District. In this podcast interview, Adam shares his experiences growing up with hearing loss and his journey through music and learning how to play musical instruments alongside his hearing twin brother, Stephen. It is my pleasure to welcome Adam Kita to the podcast. Well, Adam, welcome to the podcast. I think I first off first of all, I want to thank you for reaching out and and sort of uh telling your story through email and, and videos that you sent. But I want you to introduce yourself and then I, I want to start at the beginning. I want to start in your childhood. Thank so, you, Todd. Thank you so much, Todd. It is wonderful to be here. You know, when I just Googled what uh hearing loss podcast I should li- start listening to. Now I don't have a long drive to and from work, but I really wanted to broaden my horizons on what other people are talking about and in the hearing loss world and yours came up. And I'm really glad that I got introduced to it. And and I just love listening to your podcast and to your guests. And so it is a huge honor to be here. And so a little bit about me. me. My name is Adam Kita. I am from Central Texas, uh, just outside San Antonio, a small town called Seguin, Texas. I was born in Corpus Christi by the coast, but did pretty much all of my living and education in Seguin, Texas, about 45 minutes east of San Antonio. I have a twin brother. We were born two months premature, and that comes in handy when I was doing my research later, talking with other people with hearing loss, and so I can touch on that later. Mm-hmm. And right around the age of about between five and seven, uh, my parents noticed that I was speaking differently than my twin brother, that I was hearing things differently. I wasn't hearing things all the time. They would notice that sometimes I would turn the volume up too loud on the radio or on the TV. And so those are starting to be some of the signs. Also, again, how I spoke compared to my twin. And they started doing some testing. I, went, I started doing speech therapy, which mm-hmm. I did all the way up until fifth grade. And I... Uh, later down the road, found out that I was diagnosed with bilateral central neural hearing loss mm-hmm. and been wearing behind-the-ear hearing aids since the age of seven in second grade. Now, the exact cause of it is really unsure. It could be related to the premature birth, but my parents said, oh, I passed the newborn hearing screening. Um, mm-hmm. So again, we know how that goes. I mean, it can come and go at any time. And I remember always be, I was in and out of the hospital for ear tubes. And I had to look this up. It's a temp, tympanostomy tubes. <laughs> I'm saying yes. that. Right. Not yeah. Sorry to anybody who is in the field and knows that word. But sure. uh, 
from ear from uh, drainage in my ear, and I apparently I was in and out about two or three times, and we feel like that may have been a cause of the hearing loss. There is no history of it in my family mm-hmm. that we know of. And um, my I got my first set of hearing aids when I was seven years old. Now, also within my education, I was mainstreamed, uh, with the mm-hmm. exception of getting pulled out for speech therapy. I was mainstreamed. I wasn't pulled aside and put into any special classes because of my hearing loss. And it was mm-hmm. it was really challenging. And mm-hmm. because when I was growing up, in my experiences, the only students who were wearing hearing aids were students in special needs classes who had some sort of development that they had to be placed in what we call ALE, alternative learning environment classes. And I wasn't in that. I was just mainstreamed and and then thankfully with my brother next to me, almost wherever we went, we didn't have all of our classes together, but he would be my soldier next to me, like defending me or like, or even just answering their questions. What is that? Kids knew where classes were. They have seen them on parents, older parents and a kid, older grandparents. And if kids knew where hearing aids were, it's only because maybe their grandparents wore them. That right. was really it. And I did not know much about them at that age. All I knew was that it helped me hear better. So and, let me ask you, um, so your your brother, who's a twin brother, did not have or does not have any type of hearing loss? No, none no. at all. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, and so when you were being mainstreamed, you had your brother who was there who could help with things um, oh. socially and maybe academically, you know, clarifying what the teacher was saying and things like that. Did you have any other supports? Uh, in, in terms of the classroom, like a sound field system or preferential no. seating? No, I didn't. Uh, preferential seating, I did. Mm-hmm. But um, thankfully, my my mother, who was also studying to become a teacher, she knew how to talk to teachers. Then she knew the teacher talk. And I'm mm-hmm. very thankful that on my mom's side of the family, even some of my dad's, like education was big. Um, sure. Not just education, but educators themselves mm-hmm. were really well-respected. And, and my wife is an educator too. And so um I, they so whenever I was with family on my mom's side, like I was with teachers, my mom's sisters were teachers. And so mm-hmm. they would tell me their things. Like, oh, Adam, when you go back to your classes, make sure you tell them about XYZ. Or if I was at their house, they didn't just treat me like a like their nephew. They mm-hmm. treated me like a student of theirs. Even if it was half the time to just cut up laminated seats, but they mm-hmm. made sure that I understood the importance of communication. That I was looking at them when I needed something. That they were looking at me when they needed something, and so that helped me become more aware of the self advocacy I needed to do for myself. And thankfully, growing up in that small town, I pretty much grew up with the same people all the way up <laughs> through high school, and yes. so. So unless we, I moved from one school to another in our path of growing up, elementary school to another elementary school to the middle school, and I got surrounded with more new people, those who knew me helped me along the way. And mm-hmm. that was very, very helpful. And we were also sociable outside of school. We were in the Boy Scout, Tiger Cub, all the way to Eagle. And so that kept us engaged a lot outside of school. We were involved in sports here and there we did baseball like the little league baseball thing and so so let me ask you let me ask you a quick question so you know 
you you have this twin brother that was with you, and you guys were signing up for all these different activities together, uh-huh. right? Mm-hmm. I want to ask you a question. If you were, if you didn't have your twin brother, do you think you would have pursued all those things? I would have to say yes. Uh, I I was I really wanted to be around other people. My parents wanted us to be around other people, and mm-hmm. everywhere we went, they made sure to to have us speak up for ourselves. Hey, introduce yourself to so and so. And so that even if it wasn't perfect speech out of my mouth, mm-hmm. or I was nervous, or I was still developing, like it, it was just opportunities to get it out of me. And I remember in elementary school that. Even if my brother and I weren't in the same classes, I remember signing up for things like, oh, I want to recite such and such at this school presentation. And again, I I was putting myself out on the stage when I was in like third or fourth or fifth grade, just even if it was reading off a piece of paper, experiences like that, I think, helped me overcome just anxiety or nervousness speaking in front of others. Well, I have a a colleague in the field, and I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but it comes up from time to time. But he he's, uh, I think he's retired now, but uh, he was a professor in deaf education, training teachers of the deaf. And one of the things he would talk about sometimes is, is that his fear uh, wasn't necessarily about communication and technology. It was more of the social side and that how hearing loss can be isolating. And And he was just so concerned about students who may be the only student in the classroom or maybe in the whole school that has hearing aids or a cochlear implant or some something, some hearing technology, and and how isolating that can feel and, and can be sometimes. So it's really wonderful that your parents pushed you, in a sense, and 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 your brother to to really be out there, be social and do all those things. Yes. And and just going from one grade to the next and adding on activities, especially when I added music, uh, started signing up for band. Like I already had friends and neighbors who were in band before I even signed up for it. And so I was already joining into something within people I already knew. And that's one thing as a music educator I push to, uh, not push, I, I, I share with our parents is that when you join something like this, it's not just for a one-time thing. Mm-hmm. They, the child, the children are going to develop friend, a friendship that can last, even if they're only in middle school band, they're three years, and then they add on more, they get seven years. And so not only are they growing as students, they're growing as musicians, they grow their friendships with each other, and they help each other outside of their music settings. Or, or if they're involved in other things outside of their sports settings, outside mm-hmm. of their uh, other social settings, and it's and it's really amazing, and I'm I'm very happy to have been a part of all of that. Yeah, that's that's really wonderful, and I hear, and and I continue to work with with um, children today, and and I have a few teenagers on my caseload right now that I'm working with, and they're having a real tough time, you know, because um, I have one that's really, you know. It's a challenge uh, being in public school. Um, I have another who's who is just the opposite. A, a young woman who's just a social butterfly. You know, you could tell she just talks to everyone, and she has, you know, implants. So um, it's interesting how the personalities also reinforce some of this too. 
uh, and then, but of course, the parents and and those expectations and all those things. So you you start to get into music. So where where did that seed sprout from in terms of your interest in music? My mom was in the what they called the stage band and the mm. band back in her town in South Texas, and she played trombone and. I'm like, mom, wow. why did they put you on trombone? Or could I have long arms? Okay. <laughs> that's, not, that's, not the, that's not how we do testing on instruments nowadays. But so she had the background in band as well. Um, mm-hmm. my, my dad tried, bio, tried violin as a young child when he was in Europe. Oh, wow. Didn't work out as well. But his mother and my grandmother sang opera a lot back in her hometown in Romania. And so from both sides of the family, we had it. But more, like I said before, more importantly, we just had friends that like encouraged us to do it. Mm-hmm. And and then oddly enough, my brother and I both had the same instrument. <laughs> and so we sat next to each other even more. And in a job, our teachers, one of our teachers, not sure, I still keep in touch with, she's like, Adam, what could you and your brother have to be talking about? Y'all live mm-hmm. at the same house. Just pay attention to me when you're in class. <laughs> and so, and, and that's how, that's how going on joke even now, 20 years later. And, uh, so, so again, we, we were the same instrument, but not only, so we were not only also competitive in baseball and all that. Now we added another competitive, uh, thing to the mix and that was just playing our instruments and so that drove me to to be better and better and better on it now what i will say this is that the way that band starts is not the same everywhere and so my class that i graduated with uh, we were uh, what we call the last heterogeneous band class and so what that means is that we have a mix of all the instruments pretty much in the same room at the same time learning together. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had moments where we were split wood and brass percussion, but most of the time it was all together. That is, that that seems to kind of be the norm in majority of places of, throughout the country. Mm-hmm. Now, when I left from there to go to middle school for seventh and eighth grade, uh, my district started doing, which is what a lot of districts in, in Texas and some outside of Texas are doing, where we have homogenous classes, where there is a class for the flute, there's a class for mm-hmm. the clarinet, trumpet, percussion, and you got specialized uh, instruction based on that instrument, which which all in all is better because it's smaller and it's not going to damage your hand as much as having uh, 30, 30 to fifty instruments in a small room all playing at the same time. At that young age, I didn't have I didn't have any hearing protection. Um, uh, none of us did at that time, and right. so I can only imagine the domino effect of that. But um, when you have smaller classes, not only is that better for the instruction that they're going to get, a flute player doesn't have to sit there and go and oh, he's talking to the trumpets again. They can't <laughs> figure it out. So they they get instruction. Um, throughout the entire time on that instrument and it's a smaller setting and the teacher couldn't get to hear the student, the student couldn't get to hear the teacher and a really good building block foundation for learning the instrumental, the instrument. And then the next year they get put into the advanced band classes where you have a bigger setting. Now this is where it was tricky for me because I we played the baritone, also known as the euphonium or baby tuba as some people know it, and we are in the back of the setup. Now Remember, you talk about like uh, advocating for myself, for my teachers. Like, I need to have mm-hmm. preferential seating near the front of the room or near where you're speaking as much as possible. 
in the band setting, that's not always possible. I have to be because of where the instruments are placed in order to get the sound that we want. And my helpful student, my helpful peer with me, 99% of the time was my brother. That's not always going to be the case. And so that's one thing that I share with music educators now is that if you have a deaf and hard of hearing child in your setup in the advanced band, like see what kind of relationship they're developing, they're, they're developing with their peers next to them and be aware of it. But also you don't criticize it the second you start to hear them speaking. Now, my brother and I, we, we were goofballs. We, we were all admitted to the state. We were goofy. But and that's not the case everywhere. But if somebody mm-hmm. next to them is helping them, oh, he said this, blah, blah, blah. Or point to where we are in the music, blah, blah, blah. And just be aware of that, especially in a larger setting where preferential seating is not always going to be the norm. And, and, that, and, and so that really helped me as well as when I visit my colleagues, I tell them that, like, I was, we were presenting at CMEA, and I will get to the convention stuff later, but this director asked me, like, oh, this kid is not hearing the pulse. He's not hearing the the beat. And I said, okay, draw your setup and show me where he is. Oh, he's here. I said, move him back here. Why? Well, he's going to be able to feel the instrument behind him and the lower pitch instrument to the left and to the right of him. And so those are the kind of strategies I'm throwing out there to other music educators who are asking questions about how their kid can better help feel the pulse in their band. So that's middle school. Sure. And then we move on to high school, high school mm-hmm. marching band, a much bigger mm-hmm. setup. You cover the span of a football field, the outside or the inside. And if you're inside, you should have hearing protection because <laughs> right. you're all crammed into one room. And and again, I, my brother with me, some older, younger students with next to me, and my friends, again, they're all helping me. And again, when you're on a marching band field where you can't always use analogies like, listen for this to know when to come in. And so thankfully, my people around me were helping me. They're like, okay, Adam, I'll help you. One, two, three, ready, go. Like they give me hand signals with numbers, something that I could see. Because mm-hmm. whether you're outside on a on a parking lot field or you're in the Alamo Dome, it's, it's gonna sound different everywhere, and depending on the venue. And um, again, again, thankful to the people around me that were always there to help me through my through my uh, music career. I'm very thankful to my high school band director. He never gave up on. Not just his students, but there was there were a couple of moments where he heard some students like mocking my speech impediments, and he stood up for me. He said, mm-hmm. "No, this is not going to happen in my program." And just, just 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 the way he just stood up for me he, again throughout the entire time, and even further to now, he's like another second father figure to me. And I just that that kind of thing sticks with me. And we're, we're a band family. We make sure that we're all treated with respect, regardless of your background, disabilities, your abilities, anything. And that's something that, that goes with you a long way. Oh, yeah, I, I agree 100%. And it, you know, I, I would like to think that most educators would do that, but it's not always the case. Um, and so it, it does make that lifelong impression that you continue to have for this for this band directors that's wonderful it, it is and and now you say like they should be setting the example now it's unfortunately that when i was in 10th grade i did not get one of those positive experiences and so we have these things that are called region band uh mm-hmm. concerts and um, some some other places might call them all county 
all mm-hmm. region, all state, they're based on the right. level that they have. And so basically what it is, is they bring in an outside clinician, an outside music director to come and work with their students. It's usually a Friday evening through most of the day Saturday. And then there's a concert on that Saturday. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm not going to say this gentleman's name because you not in Texas anymore, somewhere else. <laughs> um, so we go through the whole weekend. We do. I'm sitting in the band. My brother's next to me too because we both made the same band, and along with a couple of other my friends scattered throughout the band. And we go through the whole weekend. We're done with the concert, and then afterwards, my mother goes up to the conductor and is like, "Hey, uh, my one of my sons wants to be a music educator, just to, to be a band director. He does have a hearing loss, though. Like, what do you recommend?" Oh, he should not do that because of his hearing disability. Mm. And I remember my mother telling me that in the car, car ride on the way home, and I just busted out in tears. Like, this is somebody who should be advocating for anyone to study in the music education field or perform in music education uh, realms, no matter what it is your abilities, disabilities have. And that's my story of something that happened to me growing up. Somebody said, no, I couldn't, shouldn't do that. And it just light that fire. The word, and a couple of my other friends have said it too. The word no is just going to light it up even more. Mm-hmm. I can do it. Here's how I'm going to do it. Watch me. Right. Good for you. I mean, that's, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I it's great that you had that support that, and you and your personality, you just kind of use that as that fuel to, to drive you. And uh, it's unfortunate that, you know, that's that person maybe have, you know, said something similar to other uh, parents or other students. And and maybe they didn't, you know, pursue it based on that opinion. So that's really unfortunate. But, um, but that didn't stop you. So that's wonderful. So how did you guys do that weekend when you were when you met this guy? Oh, I mean, overall, it was a good concert overall itself. And so that's why that's that's one of the big bummers. It's like, why why would you set us all up to have this fantastic weekend and then boom? Right. You know, um that that was really unfortunate. And and then I I just continued performing. I just continued pushing on. And then so while we're finishing up through high school, um, uh, I became involved with the Jum and Bugle Corps activity and we uh my brother and I marched in the Madison Scouts, German Bugle Corps out of Madison, Wisconsin. We did that for five summers, five years. And if you can imagine the look of my parents' face when they found out, oh, we both made it. Oh, it's going to cost that much. Oh, we have to get all up to Wisconsin. Oh. And wow. and so and so that was a, another fun experience. And I was very blessed because the, most of the people on that staff had already known of the Kita twins because um, – couple of the guys on staff taught me in Seguin. And so they knew who we were before we even got there. And the right. entire time there, I just had a marvelous experience. And when I get to travel across the country and meet people from all over the world, uh, from Asia, from Europe, and we're all in this for the same reason, the same cause. And again, th- this is another opportunity for me to educate others about me and my hearing loss. And so if I didn't hear them, you know, I would tell them, hey, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? And it was on a much grander scale, and I had a wonderful time doing it and just meeting new people along the way and expanding my performances. It was amazing. I loved it. 
So let me ask you. So you're 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 kind of going over your your history here, and we're going to get into college soon. Uh, um, what advice would you give to parents? Because you know, parents um, today, certainly children who have hearing loss because of hearing technology, can have access to music and sound and and be very successful. But parents may think or assume that music is out of the question because of the hearing loss. If you were going to tell a parent who of a, of a two-year-old who has hearing loss and they're thinking, oh, well, probably you know, music won't be in my child's future, how, how, would, how would you address that? Like, just never give up. There's going to be so many different ways for music to reach a child. Um, the child may not be able to hear a vacuum if it's going off in the room next door, but they may be able to feel subwoofers, bass, uh, some kind of music, depending on the pitch of it. Experiment with that. See if, like, if you, I mean, if you're going to take your child to a live concert, obviously use hearing protection, but see how they react to it. Let them see the other people at the concert. Are they, are the other people clapping in time to a certain beat? Is the child clapping in time to that beat because they can see it and they can feel it? D don't give up on those opportunities. And this is where it also, not just as a parent, but also the elementary music teachers, uh, they are the biggest advocates too. And one thing I tell, uh, other music educators is that you might be that first person who also notices the child has a hearing loss. If you're doing elementary music and you're doing a singing production, choir production, and you notice mm -hmm. a child is singing louder, make, louder than others. And you, mm -hmm. you can't make the assumption, man, that child is loud. That <laughs> child maybe doesn't know they're loud. Right? Right. Maybe, maybe that child has never been tested for hearing. Maybe in their everyday, normal, day-to-day -day speaking, it's normal. It's, it seems normal. It's just like their classmates. But maybe when they sing, it's different. It's louder. Oh, but they play their instrument a lot louder. They're playing that drum a lot louder. Okay, mm -hmm. that's that's fine. Like, let them do it. Now, obviously, if they're about to damage it, you know, talk, teach them about taking care of the instrument. But don't let that turn you down is to be in a reason like, oh, he's really overdoing it. She's really overdoing it. Music is not for them. You don't know. Just don't give up. And one thing that Dr. Alison Darrow says, and she is a prominent leader in the world of research for music education <laughs> in elementary all the way through the college level is, is there's no, it's not the thing that they can't do it. There's going to be a delay. That's it. Mm -hmm. They, they may get it five seconds later. And I relate it to also like English language learners. And I teach some English lang language learners in my school. It's not mm -hmm. that they can't do it. I, you kind of see their face kind of look up, look at you or look away for about two or three seconds to kind of interpret it in their head. And then they mm -hmm. do it. And same thing with deaf and hard of hearing kids. There's, there's just a little bit of a delay. And if it's not instant, that's okay. So it's, it's, you're talking about the sort of the processing time. They need another yes. Yes. couple of seconds to process what's what's going on. Yes, that would be my advice. Um, always, of course, above all, always use hearing protection if we're going out to live music because because with what little hearing they do have, we have to do we have to protect it. And there's um, 
and there's music there's musicians out there like you know if you know the mandy harvey story um on american idol it was just fantastic mm-hmm. like aiming those aiming the bases at the floor so she could feel the vibration through her feet uh when i was at the texas music educators association i got to meet uh evelyn glennie mm-hmm. and i got to see her perform and she's another example of someone who grew up with her and lost and and the way she performs, by the way she feels everything, and through her feet, through her hand, through her body, and that's something that I'm telling music educators and parents now. Hey, when you when your child wants to do music in middle school, take if you have a copy of the audiogram, take the copy of the audiogram, show like, hey, my child can't hear high pitches. I just want to make sure you know about that. And okay, there are some instruments that just might be more challenging. Not that they right. can't do it. It's just going to be more challenging. Maybe they need an instrument that they can feel with their hands, that they can feel against their body. And just like when you're saying putting a speaker up against a child, let them feel the music. Same thing with the instrument. When they want to learn the instrument, let them feel the instrument. And they might fall in love with it, whether it's the way it feels with their hands or the way it feels on their face if they're a tactile learner and they feel it against their lips, they feel the mouthpiece in their mouth. And the deaf and hard of hearing people are going to catch on to the more kinesthetic tactile things on deaf DHH person. And that's something that I want to make sure that not just parents know, but music educators know there's more than one way to do it and make sure you open it up to the deaf and hard of hearing children. Yeah. It's, it's a great message. I have to, I recall a situation that that uh, many years ago, um, and my listeners know, I probably know my background in that uh, from 2002 to 2007, I was executive director of the Alexander Graham Bell Association for the Deaf and Hard of Hearing in Washington. And a part of some of the programs that we had at the time, and I assume they're still going, was that uh, the AG Bell Associ- Association would give out uh, funding uh, to students, uh, uh, usually I think, in, you know, middle school and high school students, um, but they would give funding and they had arts and, and, uh, science funding. And we would get all these applications in, you know, from all over the country. Uh, and what was really, really interesting for those arts, uh, applications, how, one of my staff members who had been there a lot longer than me said, you know, before, and this was, you know, 2002. So we, at the, at that point we had 10 years of kids getting cochlear implants. We had new digital hearing aids coming on. And she said, I can remember when all of the uh, arts applications were visual arts, painting, sculpting, drawing, maybe occasionally some music or dance, but not, not very common. And she said, you know, from the past couple of years at that point, all these kids who had cochlear implants and had had them maybe for 10 years at that point, where they were submitting all of these music applications. And so she was seeing, and she pointed that out, you know, she said, we could sort of track this and, and based on the technology, these kids were hearing so much better, being able to participate in, you know, music and become quite the, you know, talented performers. 
that is absolutely amazing. That is that's that's something I never really had thought to look into at that time, even as a child growing up in in music in the middle school and high school. But I will share this is that in Texas, I'm not sure if anybody brought this up to you yet, but we have this thing called a tuition waiver for mm-hmm. deaf and hard of hearing. And so I can't remember who brought this up to my parents. We were just talking about it last week. It might have been um uh our caseworker who said, hey, you should apply for this because if you if you meet it based on your hearing loss criteria, then you can get your tuition waived for free in, in college. And so I did all of my undergrad for free of tuition. I did all of my master's for free of tuition. And wow. Um, of course, a, a PhD is on, is, I can, I can see it happening for sure. I don't know where for sure yet, but, um, it's something I want to do. And anytime I come across parents, whether their child is in middle school or high school, I'm like, you need to apply for this. Like, whether you get it or not, you need to apply for it. And when I was in college, I remember one of my first jobs was a marching band instructor when I was attending Sam Houston State University. I uh, drove down to the Woodland, to the Woodland College Park High School, and I worked with their band once or twice a week. And one of their drum majors was wearing hearing aids. And I connected with him right away. His name is uh, Dustin uh, Begin. And right now he is a middle school band director in uh, the Klein uh, ISD Houston area. Just just killing it. He's doing a fantastic job. And I told him right then, I said, you're about to go into college, wherever you're going to go, you need to apply for this tuition waiver. And he told me I already did. And I was like, yes. And so this is a guy that I've been keeping in touch with for all those years. And he's just doing a phenomenal, phenomenal job. And one of the other guys that I did one of my clinic presentations with, I told him about it. He said, you need to tell me this entire time I could have been doing. I'm like, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) (laughs) mm-hmm. And so when you think about the financial demands and requirement that parents have to put put forth for uh, hearing aids and hearing devices and all that. It's, it's a lot. And so to right. get, especially for my parents, having, you know, the twin, both of us going to college at the same time, you know, not having to worry so much about one is a lot better. And yeah. that's, that's one of the things that I'll also make sure that parents nowadays, they know about. Some of them do, some of them don't. So every little bit helps. Yeah, that's a, that's a great program. I didn't know Texas had that. Yeah, it's just sent through the Texas Workforce Commission. Either that or the uh, Department of Health and Human Services. And I can I can see the I can send you the link, and you can put it in the in the podcast notes if anybody sure. can do that. Yeah, that'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. And so, um, what advice uh, would you give first to those children, those maybe indiv- young individuals that have hearing loss? who are sort of on the fence about music and they don't know. Uh, and then also we've talked about parents, but, and also those educators, what's the message to those educators. So let's start with the children, the children who are out there, maybe experimenting, listening to music, listening to Taylor Swift, their Swifties, you know, they, they have a, an appreciation of music, uh, but they're saying, Oh, I'm not going to go in that direction. Cause I, you know, have this hearing, hearing loss and it's, you know, it, that's going to impact me. What's your message? Well, my message to all of my students every year is just, just try it. Try it even for one year. And, and you know, you just might fall in love with it because you just never know what's going to happen. And one thing that we aim to do whenever we had the 
abilities to go down to the elementaries and do like almost like petting juice kind of thing where the kids can feel the instruments, like go up to the instruments and feel them. And one of these moments, I will never forget this. Uh, it was in my about second or third year of teaching. I got invited to go speak to our, one of our elementary schools in my district. And in Texas, we have what's called the regional day school program for the deaf. Are you, are you familiar with that? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so in my district in Northeast ISD, it's uh, Churchill High School, uh, Jackson Middle School, and I am not sure. I can't remember the elementary school. It'll come to my head. But I went to that elementary, Oak Meadow, Oak Meadow Elementary School, and I went there. And I talked to the kids about, uh, I'm not only am I a teacher in the district, I'm also deaf and hard of hearing, but I also teach band. And the second I took my instrument out and I started playing it for them, Kids got up off the floor, up to my instrument to feel it. And never in my career had I ever seen anything of that sort. Mm -hmm. And that right there just blew me away. And I was just like tearing up, you know, oh my gosh, like this is what these kids are having to do in order to feel music. And just moments like that where I was able to do that got to the kids. It got to show them that I that you can do music, you can do band, you can do band, choir, orchestra, jazz, keyboard, percussion, you can do any of that. But it was was good for those kids to see somebody live in front of them that could do it. And about a week or two later, I got invited to talk to the Feeder Middle School, Jackson, that has their deaf and hard of hearing class in there, and I got to talk to them. More so, not so much on the band side, but more on like, hey, I'm a teacher, like, I'm deaf, but I'm a teacher. And they're oh, like, I can be a teacher, too? Yes, mm-hmm. you can be a teacher, too. And and that's just right there. I can just open my eyes. Like, oh, my gosh. Like, either these kids do know or people have been telling them no or, or no one's ever shown them that this was possible. Right. And so my advice to those children is just try it. You never know what hands you're going to get your – you never know what instrument you're going to get your hands on. And it just might be the instrument you play for the next 20, 10, 20, 30 years. And and I promise you, you're going to enjoy every minute of it because it's a job as music educators to make sure that every student that comes into your program is loved and that they feel valued regardless of what they can and can't do. And I'll say a personal story. There's a, there was a tuba player. He went to New Braunfels High School just shortly just shortly outside Seguin. He is he's playing tuba professionally now, plays in a polka band in New Braunfels. He plays in a plays sousaphone um for a jazz band in the area. He was missing um his half his right half his right arm. I'm not sure if oh, he was wow. born without it or what the situation was. But I remember him growing up because he sat next to me in a region, um, region band concert, and I was like, why is a tuba player playing it with his left hand? I never <laughs> knew it. And uh, at that point, tuba players knew it. play with our right hand. I never questioned it. I was like, hmm, interesting. Years down the road, we came in contact again, and we were in the same band, and he was just killing it on tuba. And then years down the road, I followed him. like He's just playing at the University of North Texas, just killing it on tuba there, just doing a wonderful job. And so when I went into him doing some kind of, we were judging uh, region band auditions one year, I said, Eddie, is that you? Are you from New Braunfels? And do you remember the twins? Yes. And so I told him what I was doing, and he just loved it. And I said, dude, I was from a 
thank you. Like you just were one of those reasons that I just told myself to never give up. You know, here I am with both my hands and some, sometimes I make excuses and I'm like, no, I just can't. I just can't. Like he's doing, he was just one of those fires for me. And you're talking about part two, like what advice would I give for music educators? It's just right. like makes it like got to have backup plans. If plan A doesn't work for that kid, plan B, plan C, plan D, plan, all of them. And if, and here's the thing is that like if a kid wants to try out, for example, on flute, now there's been plenty of research and study going that that study going on that it may not be the best for them because they're not able to feel the instrument with their hands. It has a lot to do with the vowel shapes inside of your mouth, the way your air produces the sound. Mm-hmm. My my friend of mine, um, Edward Ercia, uh, he brought this up at a clinic we did uh, a couple months ago, and he said, "Let the kid learn, let them fail, let them relearn something else again." And it's all a matter of what kind of environment are you placing for not just all kids, but specifically that kid. And and if they're like diehard, they wanted to learn that instrument, just let them learn. Get, provide them with the instrument. If they see, oh, man, you know what? This isn't for me. But I like that instrument. Like, okay, try it. Let them try it until they see the one that fits them. And one thing that I tell my music educator friends when they're doing their tryouts is don't just do mini instruments, which means don't just do a brass mouthpiece or a clarinet mouthpiece. Uh, do the full instrument. Let the kid hold the instrument while you play it or flip it around to where you can hold the instrument for them and they the mouthpiece is on their face and they can feel it with their hands and they can get an idea of what the instrument feels like. And that's better than like, this is what a tuba sounds like. Do you want to play the tuba? Like let them feel the instrument, <laughs> mm-hmm. and and they might they just might fall in love with it because of the vibration they get from it and the way it resonates in their hands. You just never know. So the real message is don't prejudge anyone, but especially kids with hearing loss, that they can be musicians and they can exactly. be very successful. Exactly. And my biggest thing to music educators right now is that that kid's going to blow you away. You're going to have, you're going to learn more things about teaching that deaf and hard of hearing child that you never knew could be applicable to everyone. And you can't just take your casebook of what you learned in college and go, this is going to work for everybody. Mm-hmm. No, like you're going to have to add, you're going to add to it and you're going to share it with other people. Hey, by the way, I have a deaf and hard of hearing child in my class and here's what i learned from that kid today like share about it it's amazing well i have one one other question for you do you think i'm going to turn this around on you do you think your hearing loss gave you some advantage for music we're talking about how it could be a disadvantage well the fact now that i can bluetooth anything to my phone and bluetooth <laughs> into my phone, there you go yes technology at its best but yeah um, with the way technology has come and the way it's allowed me to hear even better, yes, I I feel like I can hear music now clearly because when I go to the audiologist, like he sets it to where, like I, I put my hearing in the box, he hooks it up Bluetooth to the computer, mm-hmm. and I see him do all that magic, and I just sit there and oh, I'm like wow, and mm-hmm. I put it on and I listen to music either Bluetooth it or I'm at. I mean, my classroom, like it just sounds so much clearer. It really does versus the standard amplifiers I had going up. 
Now, those were better than nothing. I'll admit that. Sure. Uh, they were the ones where, like, if it were too loud, I actually had to take my finger and go, okay, eight down to six. <laughs> and and now I can just go on my phone and just change it there with the knob on the app. But it's, technology has come such a long way that I really think it has helped me hear music so much better. Well, do you, do you think that just the hearing loss itself maybe gave you a different way of perceiving sound? Yeah, because you're you're I mean, your brother who doesn't have hearing loss just is automatic for him. I mean, he just walks in. He's hearing everything. Yes. Um, He's not really he may not be feeling it in the same way that you are. Yes. Yeah. And and I will say this, that we had this ongoing joke going up is that because I was deaf and hard of hearing that everything I did other than playing the instrument was a lot better than him. Like I was the (laughs) moment and marcher on the Mm -hmm. field. He wasn't. He knew it. He knew not to question it. He just, he just <laughs> knew it. Now, he was always going to be the better player than me. But you know, one of the things that we have to learn as as instrumental musicians is how we articulate on our instrument. For me, it always different because of my speech growing up. The way I would say two or coo is different from other people saying two and coo, or that, or my vowel shapes are different. And mm-hmm. so that's one thing I stress to. I was telling um, a band director at uh, Jackson when I met with him back in October, uh, November, I was sitting next to one of his kids who has a cochlear implant, plays trombone. And he said, Adam, I'm inviting you in here. I want you to tell me anything that I can do to help her and anything you can tell me to help me. And mm-hmm. I said, great. And so we went through the warm-up and one of the things I told him, I said, go down the wall and have them sing with the vowel shapes like we're doing lip slurs. Like, that's something as an educator you can hear and you can assess it on the spot before they even make the sound on their mouthpiece. And even if they're not the same from person to person, I said, you're going to get that kid to also help verbalize things that they may not be used to saying all the time. And another thing I say is I'm very blessed on my campus that my speech therapist that pulls out kids left and right, she pulls out a couple of my band kids, is that she's married to a retired band director. And so whenever I have questions about it, I go to her and I mm-hmm. and I ask her, I would ask her, hey, what's so-and-so working on in his speech therapy that I can also apply to my band classes? Because you see him once a week. I see him five days a week. And so if there's something that we can do a win-win for both of us, let mm-hmm. me know. And that's something I've shared in my clinic too. Like use people like your speech therapist uh, to your advantage. Use your DHH itinerant teacher who's known the child since they were maybe five and followed that child through their growth, use them as resources to help you teach that kid and help broaden your horizons on how you can teach all kids. That's right. It's a good point. Well, Adam, you've been such a great uh, uh, interview and I really appreciate you being a guest on the podcast and how can people reach out to you and 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 maybe work with you or just be in touch to get more information? Well, right now I am my colleague uh, Edward Arcia and I are on a mission to like help spread the word more at like various music educator association conventions. And so if you see us there, come come to our clinics. I, I promise you, you're going to leave with more information than you ever thought you could. And I'm also talking with a, 
another colleague of mine, she's a deaf color guard director in Houston. She had a cochlear implant. We've talked together. I'm like, hey, Grace, let's let's change the world. Let's change the marching arts world. And so just know that any articles we put out there, like it's going to be from our experiences and it's going to be uh, for how to help deaf and hard of hearing children in your marching arts rehearsals, whether it's marching band, drum corps, indoor drum line, percussion, any of that stuff. Um, right now, I am... I'm actually just brainstorming ways that I can get myself like the my um, the my own LLC route, so I can do like mm-hmm. consulting, uh, these uh workshops, presentations. I am best reached via email. My email is adamkita at gmail.com, A D A M C H I T T A at gmail.com. I do uh I'm on social media, Facebook and Instagram. We do have a group on Facebook. That I would recommend that anybody out there can find us, whether you know you you are in the situation to learn more about teaching deaf and hard of hearing students now or even later to put in your toolbox. The group is called Music is for All in our Deaf and Hard of Hearing community. And again, Todd, I can share that link with you and we can put it in the podcast notes as well. Sure. And there's the in that community, like we people are asking questions. <clears throat> My colleagues and I are sharing resources that we've shared at our clinics. And those would be the best ways that people can get in contact with me. I'm only at the start of something big, Todd. I really do feel like it, it may take a while, but you know, I'm <laughs> I'm having a great time doing this. And it only took 30 plus years for me to really speak out about myself and be like, you know what, I am deaf. You know what, I I do love wearing my hearing aids. You know what, mate, I do need you to help me in the workplace. Here's what you can do for me. And it, and it took over 10 years of being a current professional educator to do that, but I got there. And I'm and if there's and if you are a college student right now who is going into music education and you are deaf and hard of hearing, let me know how I can help you. I can I'm happy to do mock interviews with you. Because there's something that, you know, Todd, that we face that legally other people don't face. And I want to help share the word on that, too. And and I am just excited. And I, above all, Todd, I cannot thank you enough for getting back in touch with me. And this has been a wonderful opportunity for me. And thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Well, thank you, Adam. And good luck with everything that you're doing. I want to thank Adam once again for joining me on the podcast He is such an inspiration, and I hope you found his story inspirational as well. And we can't forget about music when we think about children with hearing loss, regardless of the degree of hearing loss. And music can still be a part of their lives and a very big part of their lives. And Adam is someone who just proves that. So thank you again, Adam, and best of luck with everything you're doing. And thank you for joining me on the podcast. If you don't mind, please rate, review, subscribe, follow, or share this episode or podcast to those you think would enjoy listening to it. And until next time, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.